Aggression is one of the last dirty words in our culture. You can be crass, you can be rude, you can even be profane, but ho, oh, aggressive, don't be aggressive, except it's wrong, dead wrong. I promise you nothing of meaning and transcendence will come into your life passively. It's time for you to get into the arena to push back against a passive, mediocre existence. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome. One of the themes that has been very common in these podcasts is the role of decisions. It is our decisions that will define our future. The best CEOs aren't even necessarily the ones that make the best decisions. The best CEOs are ones, though, that make decisions. Compare that to today. Everyone wants to put off decisions. We want to put off asking somebody to marry me. We want to put off declaring our major. We want to we want to put off choosing which house we want to buy. We want to put off the decision of children, when to have children. We want to we just want to delay, delay, delay. If it's an intentional decision to delay, that's okay. But simply delaying because you can't make a decision, that's not being aggressive. I think our guest today is going to teach us something about this. He has a track record of making wise decisions for the long term. From what what little I know about him, his decisions also tend to be very unconventional. Find me a person who makes unconventional decisions, and I'll find you a person who's going on a different path, is being aggressive, and his life is going to matter. Conventional decisions might not be great. It's a conventional decision to have a car payment for the rest of your life, and you don't never get ahead financially with a perpetual car payment. Conventional decisions don't necessarily get you ahead. Unconventional stupidity doesn't get you ahead either. <laughs> but unconventional decisions, if there is something that you're making an intentional choice to go against the grain on, it's probably a good move, and it's certainly an aggressive move. We have today a very special treat. We have a real, live, professional athlete. Yes, his name is Nick Haglin. He's a professional soccer player. He has quite a story and something we can learn about him because we've got to be making aggressive moves. And you don't get to where you are without making aggressive moves. Is that correct, Nick? That's correct. Tell us who you are, Nick. Uh, I'm Nick Hagland uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. I am married uh, to Mary Hagland, the wonderful Mary Hagland, the better half of myself. Uh, we have one daughter. Her name is Eloise. She's also awesome. Um, and my family is from Cincinnati. They live here. Her family uh, lives in Cincinnati. Um, and we lived in Toronto for five years. And we just got traded to Cincinnati this year. And we're just excited to be here back so- home. So you you grew up in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and you got traded to Cincinnati the very first year it has an MLS team. And so you're on the first roster of your hometown's first professional soccer team. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah. it's Honestly, you couldn't, you couldn't write it any, any better. So when did you start playing soccer? 
Um, so I lived actually in New Jersey for three years. Um, my dad worked for P&G. He was in, working at Port, Port Ivory, and he started a little soccer club. So three years old, he started this soccer club, and uh, that's where I began. I've been predicting, everyone's been predicting for a long, long time that soccer is going to take over America because all the little rugrats in our country, all of them have been have been scurrying around fields and chasing balls and fewer and fewer people have been playing Little League baseball like I did, fewer mm-hmm. and fewer people doing you know, classic American football. Mm-hmm. So when your dad started you on the soccer field, was that the cool thing to do or were you departing from other friends who were doing other supports? Well, my dad was my coach, so it was the coolest thing oh, to do. Because yeah. dad was doing exactly. It. So uh, yeah, I just I just love soccer because my dad loved soccer. He played in college, and uh, you know I just idolized him when I was when I was younger. And when did it start to be apparent to you that you could actually make a living out of this? Honestly, I didn't even have the realization. My college coach, my junior year, sat me down before the season and was like, "Nick, you're good. You could possibly do this for a living." And I was like, "What?" Are you serious? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you should probably start thinking about getting your credits done so you might go into the draft and see what happens uh, as, a, as a professional. And I was, I kind of had to wrap my head around it because I wasn't, I, know, I just love soccer. I loved it and enjoyed playing. Um, and so for me, it had to come a realization later on in my career that uh, there might have been a possibility to do this from my profession. So if you're 15 and you've got a dream of being a pro, what would a 15-year-old do who wants to be a pro that a 15-year-old who isn't going to be a pro hmm. won't do? I would say like the first and most important thing is to love the game, to enjoy the game. And I think as when I was a when I was a kid, I just would love to go out in the backyard and just juggle the ball, kick the ball around, like ask my dad to go out in the backyard and kick the ball. So I really enjoy just playing. I think another innate characteristic that was when I was 15 is just I hate losing. <laughs> I just hated it. <laughs> you know, I show did. me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> exactly. That was Vince Lombardi. <laughs> exactly. So I I felt like there was every time I stepped on the pitch, I felt like I had I could make a difference. I was going to change the way this the, the play was going to happen or whatever. Um, and so I'd work really hard, and I would never take a day off. And I thought that m- I had the ability to make a difference, and, and I didn't want to lose. I didn't want my team to lose, and I would do anything to, to, to change that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like 15 years old, it's a really—I didn't think I was a very good soccer player. I was never like an all-state guy. I was second-team all-state in high school. It wasn't like a first-team all-state, not all-American. I went to Xavier University, which was one of the worst D1 soccer programs. They had won five games in two years, and the program was a mess. The coach just got fired. Um, And so I was just like, I didn't have any other scholarships other than at Xavier. And I was like, you know what? They offered me to play. I love playing soccer, so I'm going to do that. The new coach came in, changed the entire culture of the program. We got really good, and things just happened where I was a part of that and was able to to jump to becoming a pro. That is stunning. So from what you just told me, you were relatively average. Yeah. Not that. Anyone gets a D1 scholarship yeah. is not average. Right, but right, I'm right. saying amongst people get to D1, yeah. it sounds like not that you wouldn't have put yourself on the top tier. Not at all. But then a leader comes in mm-hmm. and changes everything. Mm-hmm. It was really that simple. What he, what, he gave you confidence? He gave you a system to play um, in? What, what was that? 
honestly, you just made a culture of the team being the star. You know, it wasn't about any single person. He didn't care if you were a senior, junior, sophomore, it, freshman. He was there was no status among anyone. It was like the team is the greatest part of this. If you're on the bench, the team is the greatest part. If you're on the field, the team is the greatest part. And this culture of working hard, not cutting corners, and like fighting for every inch every day. Um, and being a good guy, doing good job in school, making sure like everything was taken care of, and that 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 when the ball was on the pitch, that the team was the the star. And I think that kind of culture just re- resonated through the group. And if he had anyone that was saying, he would say, call the the disease of me. If you're getting the disease of me, where you're saying like I'm not getting enough playing time, I'm not doing enough, or I'm not getting it or receiving enough, he would sit him down and be like, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Like, we got other people that are going to be willing to to work hard and, and, and do your job. But those things wouldn't improve your skills, or did they improve your skills? I think what made our team in college really good is the grittiness that we had as a group. Um, I wouldn't, you're right, it wasn't like any skills-based thing, but it was just a mentality that we're not going to lose, we're going to fight for each other every day, and that's kind of what changed the culture of Xavier soccer. Man. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's a couple other things about you that I think are really interesting. Let's talk about your sex life, Nick. All right. (laughs) Who are you having sex with right now? My wife. Your wife! (laughs) (laughs) I just did that one. (laughs) Yes, as you should be. Now, how how long have you uh, known this woman? Uh, So I have known her since I was six years old. Six. So you married your high school sweetheart. I did. I did. So we grew up on the same street. Our parents still live on the same street for, uh, as each other. When we when I moved in six years old, they were the neighbors that were across the street. And yeah, that's kind of where our friendship kind of started. Obviously, as we grew up, uh, like she has she has a younger brother who's my best friend, and we kind of hung out more than me and her. Towards the end of high school, we kind of got interested in each other and started started dating. And when did you know that she was going to be the one you were going to marry? Mm, I knew it. So we were both a part of Young Life, and Young Life is a Christian organization that reaches uh, reaches teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we were so the first time I knew that, like I was goo goo gaga over her was when I so she did she was a part of Young Life like a year before me and when she was a senior uh, she was speaking um, at at campaigners which is like a little group meeting it was something that I hadn't heard and from her from knowing her for you know I would say 10 years at that point this was something different that I saw from her and I was like wow that's really attractive to me Um, you know her love for Christ and her willingness to step up and, and lead people in that way. And how long have you been married now? We've been married five years. Five years. Yeah. Well, five years coming up. Okay, so getting married your high school sweetheart. Yeah. Um, any cons to that, or is it all is it all upside? I mean, getting married to, my, to, to anyone, I feel like, is yeah. a total upside. Um, I would say it's interesting in terms of we've known each other for so long. And so, like, when we're going through different seasons of life, say, moving to Canada together, she, her, she wasn't able to teach. Um, being able to, like, love her through that and a hard time where she felt like she went to school for four years for this. She's not able to teach in Canada. That's frustrating. Um, like, how do, we, how do we do that together? You know, when we were dating, we were just, like, hanging out, having a good time. When it comes to, like, 
real-life situations where things are going wrong or, um, you know, you don't feel like yourself or, you know, when we had our baby, the first couple weeks of postpartum was really difficult. And it was like, I've known this girl for my whole life and I've never seen this side of her. And so um, I think just seeing different seasons of life, um, knowing each other for so long um, is cool. But knowing, like, making sure that we're able to love each other in those situations when when we don't feel like ourselves or when things are are tough. That's kind of the challenge, you know. I tell you, this is a this is a theme that's come up on our podcast a number of times, Nick. Uh, one of the one of the ways that I see our culture, especially men in our culture, being more and more passive, is putting off the idea of marriage and always thinking there's someone better out there that I'm not ready yet. And I, I'm always inspired when I meet a man who says, "No, man." I'm aggressively saying I do right now. I don't. I don't need to wait any longer. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I do too. I mean, I knew it, and I feel like there was no other question. And this is the woman that God had put on my heart, and we dated for seven years. And dating for seven years is not easy. Um, we did it long distance, and uh, but it was the best decision of my life. My youngest daughter is dating somebody right now. Actually, been dating him for oh shoot, five years or so. And when he came to the house to pick her up. For their first date, yeah. Do you, do you you don't have any kids yet, or do you? I do. One daughter. Do any, one daughter. Yeah. All, right, all, right, all right. All right. Let me tell you something, Nick. Sit, sit down. <laughs> give, me, give me some knowledge. I'm gonna give, give you, me some give knowledge. Me some give me some knowledge. Here. It is it is crazy. It is utterly crazy that there is a kid who knocks on your door and he says to you, "I want to take your car. Give me your car." You would say, "No, you're not taking my car." If he knocks <laughs> your door and says, "Hi, I'm here to take your golf clubs. I'm going to use your golf clubs." You say. No, you, I don't even know you. You're not taking my golf club. <laughs> but if some kid who's 16 knocks your door and says, I'm here to take my, take your daughter out, you say, oh, my daughter, fine. <laughs> just take my daughter. Just take her out. So no, no, it doesn't work that way. They come in and you say, okay, the first date's going to be with me. So I take this guy out to Frisch's and I have him drive because I want to see if how he drives Good with my move. daughter. Good move. And I sit down and I say, first of all, I want to make an assurance. You, you're going to assure me of two things. One, that you're going to protect her reputation. Mm-hmm. You're going to do that. Um, and two, I want to know what your sexual intentions are with my daughter. What do you plan to do with her sexually? Lay it right on her. Lay it right on And had him lay it on me. And I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid. I understand that, you know, back when we were 16 or so, the hormones are raging. And mm-hmm. what he says in that moment may not be what he wants to do right. a month from. I'm not, I'm not stupid. Right, but, right, right. but it's my responsibility to do that. Anyway, it's really weird that I think a lot of us might be finding a really, really great find when we're younger, but the world keeps telling us, oh no, oh no, mm-hmm. just For wait, sure. wait, wait longer, longer, longer. For sure. When we got married, we didn't feel like it was like a weird thing. We moved to Toronto in a big city and we would be like, yeah, we're married, we're newlyweds. And they're like, how old are you? We'd be like, uh, I'm 22, she's 23. They'd be like, what's wrong with you? Right. There's so much more life that you could have. I was like, really? Right. That doesn't make much sense. So, yeah, we're, really enjoy- we're really enjoying our life that we have right now. We don't have to go search. We don't have to go out to a club and search for somebody, or go to a bar and search for that. You know, we have each other right now, and it's it's wonderful. So you're not living life a to go with. you're not living a deprived life because you're married, Nick. No, no, I'm living a very happy life. Oh, uh, I thought all married people had given up on the dream of something else. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can see that. That's that's odd. How about how about with you and your your athletic teammates are you unusual being married young are they uh um yeah it's definitely unusual most teammates would say like 
that would that would get in the way of performance at least at least at a young age when you're so when you're 20 when you're coming out of college and you're just learning your craft and kind of finding your way as a professional they would say that getting married at a young age probably would be not the best idea because you need to focus on your job you need to eat live breathe soccer okay so it's not from a relational objection no it's no. from I'm a, I'm a pro athlete and yeah. needs to be all about that all the time yeah yeah i'd say that and i think it like it takes away from the going out. What's the purpose of most times? Most guys going out, they're looking for a date or looking for someone that they could date. So I would be excluded from that group. Right. So you're not going to have the same male bonding activity yeah, with, yeah. with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Do you think the trade offs of having a wife to focus on, but also the upsides of having a teammate that's with you outside of the field? What's the. What's the, what do you um, think? I think you can, I mean, positive? you can do, you, I think in terms of the, the trade-off, I think it's a really, po- like, I I love being married, and I think it really put soccer into a perspective for me, you know, when I was up in Toronto for the first year, we were just engaged, um, and I was able to, I mean, I was very focused on soccer, it was my career, it was the first time that soccer was my job, and my performance depended on my job and my money and my livelihood. And so I feel like there was a part of me that was like, whoa, I've never like done this before where practices matter, performances matter. Not that they didn't in college, but there was a, I don't know, a more emphasis on it in my life because I was like, I want to get married. I want to provide for my family. I want to, you know, I'm not going to ask my parents any, I have a job. I don't want to ask my parents for money or anything like that. Like this is me and I felt like there was like a pull to like really focus on it. But when she came up, I felt like it was able to like just leave soccer at home. You know, it's not it's not your all. It's not everything that you're doing in life. Like just leave it at, at as soccer as soccer and come home to taking care of your family and um, not letting it put too much influence on your life. You know, letting it letting it speak about who you are, what your worth is, what your value is, letting it just be soccer, your job. You were blessed with the DNA to be able to do what you're doing. Some people could work just as hard as you, mm-hmm. but maybe they don't have the DNA to be able to do what you're mm-hmm. doing. Other people have better DNA than you. They didn't work as hard as you, so they're not getting where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, same with marriage. Do you think there's any transferable principles of how you've had to work to earn your living or work to hone your craft? And is there are there tiebacks to how you have to work to have a great marriage? I feel like I don't like to say that like my marriage is work because it's not because it's I love I love I like I chose to marry her. I love that. But I feel like there is a way to love her. I would say it's a choice to to love her today. You know, every day you wake up and you have a choice to you could do something else or you could love your wife or how, you know, um, it's like going to the the soccer field and you could choose to work hard today. It's a choice. It's how much effort are you going to put in? Um, and I think it's the same with your marriage. You got to put effort into, to taking care of her talk, you know, like if I just got married and then we just sat across the the room from each other and sat on our cell phones nothing, you know, our relationship isn't going to grow. We're not going to encourage each other. We're not going to find, uh, you know, each other attractive. It's about continually, like we were dating, continue to date your wife, continue to love her and maybe dating, especially now with a one-year-old, looks a bit different. Maybe it's uh, a, <laughs> we get a movie night here right. or there, or, you know, maybe we sit down and just put our phones away and we go sit with a glass of wine and just talk and enjoy each other. But yeah, I think it's a, 
there's an amount of effort that you Absolutely. have to put into uh, loving your spouse. My my wife and I, I've been on doing a routine now for, I'm ashamed to say, only a year. I had uh, last vacation we went on last summer. Mm-hmm. I just, one day I brought coffee into her. I'm normally the first one up in the house and I made coffee and brought it into her and gave it to her. And she was so giddy. She was so giddy that mm-hmm. I did it the next day. And every day when I would bring it in, she would take her covers and she would pour covers down and pop up and smile like, oh, this is great. And I was just shocked that I had not done that or figured that out before in the previous 30 years of marriage. But isn't that cool, though? You're, it still, is. you're still learning. It is. It is. And, and now every single day that I've been at home, mm-hmm. every single day from last summer till today, I've taken her up coffee. Nice. Now, that's work. Mm-hmm. You make the choice. I got to make an extra trip up the steps. I got to do this. Is, mm-hmm. it, is it work like backbreaking work? Mm-hmm. No, but it's still an aggressive move where you're saying, I'm going to go out of my way to serve somebody for a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, there's an intentionality behind it. That's right. It's not random. Just a couple things to end our time on. Uh, I'm curious. You, you, you went right to the faith discussion. I am a pastor by day. But this is not necessarily a quote unquote faith podcast. And you went, you went right to the faith, the stuff you, you know, you, you put it right out there. Are you like that in the locker room? Yes. I feel like my every day that my character um, would say that I believe in Jesus, um, that I try to exude that in my energy. Would I say like, walk into the locker room and be like, hey, guys, I'm a Christian. Look at me. No, I don't do that. Um, Why are you pulling up your shirt right now? Show me your abs. I don't know. You do that? I'm right? slapping them right, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, we have, a ch- we have a team chaplain, and I send out a text message every day or every time he comes up and says, like, this is what we've got going on. He's going to be here from here to here. You know, people know that I'm a Christian. Um, I try to facilitate it, but I wouldn't say I throw it in people's faces to, you know, like, if God wants to change their hearts, he's going to do that. My job is to just facilitate that and be a witness to that. Yeah. And so people see you living your faith out yeah. and and respecting you because you're not a weird person by day and yeah. soccer player by night. You're, yeah. you're the same person through and through. Exactly. That's sweet. So as you look back at your career, what are the decisions that you're most proud of? I would say just sticking up for myself, um, like... I feel like in in pro sports, it's yeah, it's kind of uh, lonely in terms of like you're competing, your your team is competing against a team, but you also have a ton of competition within your own team, um, and so you have to believe in yourself that you are able to do the job, that you are better than the guy that's playing that job. You also have to support them because if they're playing in front of you, you have to. Like, you want your team to win. You want your team to do well. Um, but for me to, you know, my career hasn't been perfect where I've been a starter the whole my whole career. Um, I think I'm just most proud of the decision to step onto the field every day, have a good attitude, be a good locker room guy, take care of my teammates, and work really hard. And that when my opportunity is going to come, that I, that I take it. In 2016, I was playing in the USL division, the division below for a little bit. I played maybe four games during the year, and then at the end of the year, I got there was two games left. We had just clinched playoffs, and we changed our formation. I got a shot, and I got to play all the way through playoffs. We went to the finals. We lost in penalty kicks, um, but it was just like a, a year of... 
I mean, I remember in the sum in that summer, me and uh, Mary were like, "This is going to be a terrible year. Like, we need to put a carrot out in front of ourselves to to make it through this year." So we booked a Hawaii vacation. <laughs> we were just like, "Let's do it. Let's just enjoy this. Like, get through this year." I was playing at the USL division. I was just like frustrated. Eventually, we go to the finals, and we had booked it like two days after the finals, not thinking that I was going to be playing, nor we were going to make it, and we had to cancel our trip, and I was playing, and it was kind of a cool, I don't know, just for me, just to, to continue to grind and to continue to push regardless of what was happening um, through a 34-game season, pretty much playing only six games and then playing the final six games of the year, and that's kind of where my career really blew up. Mm. Wow. Nick, really insightful. It. It is really a cool thing to be in the town. I'm in, I'm in Cincinnati, and one of the pro athletes is rooted and as grounded as you are. You're, you're, you're a good man. How, how can people follow you, connect with you, um, just know what's going on with you? Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram at Haglanden, Twitter at Nick is my name, and I'm on Facebook, but I don't really use it. You have the greatest uh, Twitter handle. What does it get? Nick. Nick is my name. Nick is my name. Who, who thinks of this stuff? That, that is phenomenal. Nick is my name. I need to change mine. That Brian is mine. Although you have <laughs> the alliteration luck. thing. Nick is. Oh, you think Brian is my name is already taken? Probably. Um, maybe we'll do like Brian blows it out or something like yeah, that. That's so, yeah, that's something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, it's been having great having everybody with us today on this episode of The Aggressive Life. My my guest has been Nick Hagland, a man who uh, has deserved and is getting great, great respect, not just as an athlete, but also as a man of God. Thanks for being with us today, Nick. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode has impacted you, hey, share with somebody else. All of us have influence. People that can look to us for direction. Use your influence positively, aggressively. And if this has meant something to you, then pass along to those that you're leading. Uh, you can see more at bryantome.com or search me on Instagram. Special thanks to the band Judges for our music. You can find more from them on Instagram at The Band Judges or at Facebook.com slash The Band Judges. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm.